Praise the name of the Lord. Don't, <coughs> Brother Todd Brown mentioned Sister Denise <coughs> needs prayer as well. And uh, we want to remember her in our prayers. Ask the Lord to strengthen her, touch her. I know, as I said, I think in this hour in which we live, it just seems like <coughs> it's very difficult to figure out, well, what... Lord, um, this, this is the hour, and uh, we want to do our best to serve you. And, you know, the root word for uh, <coughs> disciple is what? Discipline. And nobody uh, <coughs> sets out to say, well, I want to be disciplined. I want to discipline myself. And if you're like me, um, you know, um, it is very difficult to sort of gird up your mind, stop your thoughts, stop your normal actions. And this, uh, I mentioned when I started this lesson about uh, a, a, a new therapy, it's supposed to be a short therapy, that eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a, a way to make you sort of stop and think and uh, what are your other options and, uh, you know, then proceed. In fact, uh, when I was working uh, many years ago in um, uh, school, we would have stop signs and we just put them in the hall because uh, stop, uh, the S stood for stop, and then the second one, the T was think, and then what are my options, and then uh, proceed. And so trying to use little um, <coughs> triggers or use things, and now that was not uh, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, but that's what this uh, therapy is sort of designed for that you may have read about in the news and seen where people are talking about it. And it's trying to reprogram your way of acting and your actions and what is it that you are doing that you need to do differently? And how is it that you need to respond so that you somehow don't allow yourself to have the same uh, poor response, if you will. And I know that that is, um, you know, they will say, uh, okay, uh, where this sort of began was, it was uh, that of being in a sense of we are, uh, been through traumatic events and you start doing uh, bad behaviors because of the trauma. And I, I mentioned a thought becomes a consideration and a consideration develops into an attitude and an attitude becomes an action and an action becomes a habit and if you're not careful a habit becomes a stronghold. And we went through and we talked about uh, why all of that faith is obeying the Lord 
and then the mind. And we had talked about the mind before and getting our mind, uh, in a sense, back in line with the Lord. Then we talked about the body. And, and of course, no one uh, jumps up and says, oh man, uh, my body is totally disciplined. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of uh, diligence to discipline yourself uh, not to eat more than you should, to discipline yourself not to do things that you shouldn't, to engage. And yet, uh, here we are. And, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I'm old enough. Uh, you know, I, 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 was, uh, I was quoting Brother Steve Sloan. He, he tricked me the other day and said, uh, I'm going to be 70. And I said, really? Wow, that's amazing. And he said, yes, on my 70th birthday. And then he didn't tell me how long that was going to be before that would happen. But I, I was like, oh, wow, well, I'm going to be 80 on my 80th birthday, uh, should the Lord tarry, I guess, and all of the, everything be the same. But, uh, but anyway, um, I am old enough to remember when there was a real outcry against television because they're of the programming and because of the amount of time that individuals would spend on television and how it's going to fill your mind. And Malcolm Muggeridge, and who was a, uh, a psychologist and had done research, had all kinds of facts that were out uh, about countries such as uh, Tahiti and those some of the countries that were in the southern hemisphere uh, where they had had uh, no incidents of juvenile delinquents or of kids skipping school or any of these things or even murders with uh, you know uh, some of those things I think they had had three murders on the islands uh, up until the satellites reached the point where they could start having television and this was in the 60s, 70s, and all of a sudden, uh, in one year, they had 178 uh, juvenile delinquent cases and 40-something murders and all of this. And he was doing research to prove that, you know, television consumption, uh, this was many years ago, is, is going to overwhelm you and, and destroy us because of the number and it, he, according to his theory, not biblical, but according to his theory, it desensitizes us to uh, acts of violence and to murder and to uh, all the things that we see on it. And I don't know how old Malcolm Mulgerich is. I remember reading his book back in the 70s and 80s and I wonder if he's still alive today if he saw the fact that we can have our television with us 24-7. You know what I'm saying? And yet, I'm not suggesting that you get rid of your iPhone or your iPad, but 
when you start having all these thoughts, before long it shows up in the body, in the body being not disciplined. And we all know that uh, we see uh, things uh, enough that it becomes, um, you know, um, well, what, what, I've watched it enough, I've, I've, I've seen it enough, and so now I do it. And of course, we know that there's, I'm sure, there has to be an impact on with video games and all of this. Now, I, I want to be very clear. I do believe that those things have an impact. But listen to me carefully, because this is an important statement. You don't have to have television or have to have video games in order to sin. Cain killed Abel before there was any violent video games, before there was any murders on television. I understand that it's within us and our flesh is no good thing. And yet, you know, it is one thing to still fill your mind with all these things and then say, well, I want to discipline myself. Well, I will tell you that's, that, that becomes harder and harder because the Bible even said that by the fact that Lot moved in towards Solomon, it said he vexed his soul. He put himself under pressure. The more you ingest some of that, the more you are putting yourself under the pressure of, and, the, and the possibility of getting bitten. You know, um, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the zoo, and uh, Columbus has a great zoo. Um, I'm not a big zoo fan, but I, uh, I usually go once or twice, maybe three times a year. Not because I'm a fan. I get letters from the zoo wanting to, you know, do good to the animals. And it's not because I'm a zoo fan. But I have a couple granddaughters that love the zoo. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't mind getting this close to a snake if there's a glass between us. <laughs> and I don't mind getting this close to a polar bear as long as there's glass between us. And I don't mind getting, you know, three feet or four feet from a tiger or a lion as long as there's a bars and... But I can tell you I would not enjoy, you know, getting in the lion's cage like Daniel got in the lion's den. <laughs> you know, I... The, and so what you have is, and you say, well, how does that apply to where we are? The more you put yourself involved in, yes. you know, the more, the more you take a step in the cage, the greater the chance of getting bit. Right. I mean, the greater the chance of getting hurt. And so, you know, it's very difficult uh, to uh, discipline your body when you are, you know, allowing and you don't take time to wash it. The Bible says washed with the regeneration of the spirit and the word, the washing of the mind. And so sometimes, you know, and we, I know it's Wednesday and we're, we, we are all here and we understand, but sometimes it's just good 
to have the word of God, play the Bible, uh, let, listen to the word, well, let the Holy Ghost wash you. Why? Because you're trying to separate and cleanse some of the stuff that's been going on in your heart and mind. Then we talked about the discipline of place and how that's important, submitting to uh, every ordinance uh, for the Lord's sake and to honor all men to fix value. And I know that's different when you are in authority versus under authority. And I mentioned this last week. It's easy to think, uh, you know, when I'm under authority, how do I show honor? By being obedient and by having a good attitude. And, um, you know, when I am in authority, how do I show honor to someone that is working for me or that I employ is to be kindness, have kindness and respect. And I, I realize that, you know, the Bible says, honor your father and mother and there your days will be long. The first commandment with promise. And yet I want to tell you, we are living in a world right now where there is very little honor. Yeah. Even honor, you know, they used to say there's honor among thieves. I don't even know that there's honor among thieves anymore. People don't care who it is. They will talk about. And the attitude of people in authority and, and uh, you know, it is a, a horrible thing. And yet the par parable of the unprofitable servant. And I, I said this I told this story uh, but you know when you've worked all day and you come in the unprofitable servant is when the master says now go fix me supper go draw my bath go set out my you know shoes give me my slippers and yet that servant is not allowed to say, hey, I worked in the field with you. Who's going to get my bath? Who's going to do mine? No, his attitude is to obey. At that point, that is that sense of knowing my place, of recognizing my place. And, and not, you know, you say, well, are you saying that your place is that you're subservient? No, I, I, it is not that, but it is that I want to make sure I portray an attitude of respect and kindness to everyone that I meet because I don't know. And the Bible is teaches that. That's a discipline. And let me tell you, it's not always easy. <clears throat> you know, and some mother, and I'm sorry, I heard the report like you all did. Some lady got cut off in traffic and flipped a gesture to the driver and unfortunately the driver got mad and pulled around behind and Shot through the thing and killed her son. Now, I, terrible, yes. Should he have done that? No. But yet, how's that mother going to feel all of her life saying, if I wouldn't have... Think about it, yes. And I'm, I'm guilty, I think, probably of, you know, if I'm sitting too long behind somebody and they can turn right on red and then the light turns green that I don't go toot 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 you know get off your phone whenever especially when I see them in there doing this and <laughs> I try not to be impatient but you know it's kind of like 
uh, that's where the Lord has to, you know, in fact, today I, we had taken the, uh, uh, today was Tegan's birthday and we took the kids into uh, Columbus to see the dinosaur exhibit and, and we were looking and uh, I'm a dinosaur fan actually, no. There was a guy, and I we went through a red light, and it turned green, and I he's still on his phone, and he hadn't turned, he had his blinker on, and he couldn't go straight ahead there. He had to turn left or right, and he had the right blinker on, and I, I finally went toot toot, and my wife said, we got the kids in the car. I don't want him to get behind us and shoot us. That's terrible that that's what you got to have on your thought process. Anyway, <clears throat> whenever the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> Simon Peter said, I see that God is no respecter of persons. I'm glad he's not. We would not have the Holy Ghost today if the Lord only did it for the Jews. What a privilege it is. James goes into a whole detail about when somebody comes in your church service or meeting and because they're dressed nice, you offer them a better seat than somebody else. Paul in Philippians said, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Do we discipline ourselves to esteem somebody else better than me? Typically, I... I I hear myself talk saying, well, who do they think they are? They're not better than me. Huh? Isn't that how I kind of talk to myself? Who do they think they are? They're not better than I am. And yet, Paul told the church in, in, of Philippians, in Philippi, he said, you should esteem everyone else as better than you are. Ooh. You say, well, that'll give me a low self-esteem. I'm not supposed to have any self-esteem. Who is my esteem in? God. The Lord. It's not about who I am. It's about who He is. And yet, you know, we have to encourage, and I understand, teach your children, you know. I'm not saying you can be a pushover, and I'm not saying that you should, uh, you know, obey everybody that doesn't have authority over you and act like you're under them, but you should esteem them as being better. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ, humbled himself, took upon the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God hath highly exalted him. You know, imagine the God of all creation, the God that spoke worlds into existence, and he's asking for somebody's lunch so that he can feed 5,000 people. And the esteem that he gave that little boy to say, would you give me your lunch? Thank you, I'm going to use that to feed this multitude. He could have said, I don't need that lunch. I don't need that lunch. Baskets fill up. Huh? Why would he do that? 
That little boy then all of a sudden went from there saying, Man, Mom, you won't believe this. You know, the lunch you packed for me? Wow, my lunch fed 5,000. <clears throat> she probably sent him to his room <laughs> for telling a story. Unless she was there, I don't know. But, you know, so when you look at how Christ acted, and that's what our supposed to have is the discipline of place, of knowing our place, of being willing to be in our place, esteeming others. Another discipline. So we have discipline of the mind, discipline of the body, discipline of place. Another one is discipline of time. We could spend a long time talking about time because most of the time I say I don't have time I don't have time to do X, Y, Z. I don't have time. I just don't have time. I wish I had more time. I don't have time. The truth of the matter is I don't want to make time. Everybody, time is the great equalizer. Guess what? I had as much time today as you had today. You say, oh, well, no, I didn't have anything to do. I, I blew my time. Pastor, I'm sure you were busy. You could have been busy too. But I, I appreciate it. And I know people have said to me, well, Pastor, we didn't want to take up your time. And I'm thinking, time, I, I, time is one of those things that's an equalizer. Text me, call me, that's fine. I make time. Take time. Move time around. Why? Because it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, important, busy, lazy, you have enough time. Learned a long time ago, you know who created time? God. And there have been days, and I, I confess, there have been days that I have said, Lord, I have got so much to do today. I need you to let everything go smooth, slow the clock down. I need to get, I feel like I need to get A through Z done. And I've only got a, a certain amount of time. But, you know, it's a discipline of time. Not always easy, not always <laughs> convenient, but... In fact, the Lord made time, Genesis, the first chapter, and the fourth day, he said, and he set the sun, moon, stars for time and for seasons. In Revelation, the tenth chapter, said he created heaven and the things that are in and in the earth and the things that are in the sea and the things that are, which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Because this was the first thing God made holy. Remember the Sabbath day. He operated with taking time, a day of rest. And, and when a person says, well, I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time. I'm working this job and I've got this and I'm doing this and I've got this. And I, you know, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. You have to make time. You have to make time to read the word. It's got to be important. You have to make time to pray. You have to make time to be in the house of the Lord. And I know I'm preaching on Wednesday night, but it's a discipline of time. 
I understand. You, you have to say, well, you know, you say, well, can you go on vacation? Sure. Can you go and be gone? Sure. But at the same sense, you have to make time for God. And you say, well, I, I just don't have the time. I don't have the, I just don't have it. Well, God modeled this in the garden when he walked with Adam and Eve every day. And when he uh, took the Sabbath, was the day of rest and the cool of the garden. So when they were come together in Acts, the first chapter, they asked the Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the Lord said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Now those two words are important because times is like chronos in the Greek. It means the clock time and seasons means the appointed time. Which the Father has put in his power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Now what are you saying? That the Lord has... He created Kronos and he created Kairos, which is the Greek word for seasons or an appointed time. And you may say, well, this is my time. This is my time to do whatever. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That would mean that it is your Kairos. If you were saying, what time is it? That would be the Greek word Kronos. So when we think of that, when you look in like Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a, that's Old Testament, it's Hebrew, but that would be the same word for keros, if it were written in Greek. You understand? To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. God will allow time for his purpose. And so I've had to pray, Lord, you know, I, I really need to get this done. I need, I feel like this is what, so slow it down, Lord. Give me some time. And I'm here to tell you, he's done it. And yet, one of the big things He's not a preacher, he wasn't a minister, but one of the big things that Malcolm Mungeritz said in the 70s was, that box that you got in your room is going to eat away your... I think now even Apple will send you a little notification that'll tell you, you you've been playing this game this long and... You can set it up, monitor yourself. Nobody wants to do that though. It's none of Apple's business what I do. But when you think of the time, God will allow us time. Ephesians, the first chapter says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of 
times, that would be Keros, he might gather in one all things in Christ, both with her in heaven and on earth, even in him and whom we've also obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. What I, I, I will tell you, it's very difficult, you know, no matter who you are, you say, well, the president has more time on his hands. No, he has a better staff at his disposal. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't have any more time than you did today. Well, the, the boss has more time. No, he's got more people doing things for him. And, I, you know, I, I'll be very candid with you and honest. We've got... We have a staff meeting and we've had a few since we've started back and we have folks around here that take care of the van and take care of the building and take care of the this and that. If I had to do all of that, that are there to lock, to unlock, what, what are you doing, Pastor? It's the only way that it, we can work is that it allows you to free up some time. And I appreciate it. You know, they, they'll cut the grass. You say, well, preacher ought to cut the grass. Okay. I'm just saying there's, you know, all the things that you do. And so one of the things in disciplining your time is to figure out how to prioritize and what do I need to get done? And if I need to get this done, I need to find somebody else to do this or do something to... You know, and I, I realize it can be cathartic. It can be cathartic to make your own ice cream. Spend all afternoon, maybe on July 4th, you do that, and that's wonderful. And you can go to Dairy Queen. Spend $1.89 and buy your ice cream. You say, well... What, if I have all afternoon, I don't mind doing bacon now. But you, you see what I'm saying? You have to be willing to discipline your time. As Paul, as David said in Psalms 31st chapter, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in your hand. And yet, I don't want to wait. I don't like, I don't like it when God doesn't answer the way I think he should and David said in Psalms 27 wait on the Lord be of good courage he'll strengthen your heart wait I say on the Lord not always easy to wait amen I mean if I order on one side of the building I just get frustrated if they're not have my order by the time I turn the corner and God forbid that in the two lanes they let two cars go in the other lane that's just, what is the deal with this? Is so totally not fair. Huh? I just don't have time, Lord. Oh, the Lord's given us, my times are in your hands. Lord, you've given me the time. I need to use it wisely. 
not only a discipline of time, but discipline of possessions, stuff, money, and could spend a whole Wednesday night talking about discipline of place, discipline of time, discipline of possessions. The way to discipline your possessions is number one, you have to recognize that God is the giver of everything. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. Number two, you have to know that everything should be received with thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks. So, you know, well, I would like a different house, a car, a different whatever, but have I been thankful for what I have been given? It's hard to discipline my possessions if I'm not thankful for what I have been given, what I have received. Number three, everything is material for a sacrifice to God. And now that's where the jump is. You remember the Old Testament, they had been given all this gold and silver and precious jewels from the Egyptians when they borrowed it the night and then they left. They plundered Egypt. And then Moses said, okay, we need to build the tabernacle. Whoa, wait a minute. This was given to me. I worked hard for this. You don't understand. Preacher, I, this is mine. I got it. I understand. And yet, how did those people respond? The Bible says they rejoiced. For they offered willingly with a perfect heart. They offered willingly to the Lord. David rejoiced. Later, whenever he had, he had the same thing, when he took an offering, whenever the prophet came in and told him that, you know, you can't build the house, but your son will. And so David went to the people and said, we need to take an offering, build a church, temple. And they rejoiced. They were excited about it. And I, I'm not talking about being foolish, but... We, we should be excited about the fact that if the Lord's blessed me, that I can give. You know, it should never be, and I, you've heard me say, never be a, a sense of, oh man, I have, to, I have to give 10%, I have to give an offering, oh, the preacher's wanting money, oh my, I have to. I want to give. I should want to give more. What would that mean? The Lord's blessed me with more. They, are, they, were, they were excited. And David blessed the Lord. Blessed be thou God. The Lord is greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty. All that is in heaven and earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom. O Lord, thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from thee, and thou reignest over all. It is in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand to make great and give strength unto all. Second Corinthians says, But this I say, he which sows sparingly, how are you going to reap? Sparingly. So bountifully you reap 
Every man according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves, and we quoted it a million times, what? A cheerful giver. And if you don't develop that attitude, if you're not careful, possessions can possess you. I'm not saying you have to give all of your stuff away, but everything that the Lord has given, I need to say, Lord, you gave it to me. I'm willing to give it back to you as a sacrifice. Why? Because of who gave it to me. And I trust that the Lord will repay, replenish. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Number four, all things are given for us to enjoy for a while. And then might as well pass it on. No matter what you have, in fact, Paul told Timothy, charge them that are rich in the world that they don't be high-minded and trust and earn certain riches, but in the living God who richly giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good and that they be rich in what? Good works. Ready to distribute. Ready, willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And the Bible, the Lord talks a lot about money. And I, I, as I said, you could talk all Wednesday night for weeks on money and it would probably, finally everybody's going to say, well, there's got to be an ulterior motive. The preacher wants a raise. But the Lord was very clear about all of this. He talked the parable of the rich young ruler, the man with the barns, wanting to build bigger barns, the widow's mind. How many stories were all about giving? Don't let possessions possess you. And I realize, and we, we, it's easy to let it happen. You know, you have to do something with it all. And I get it, but 1 Corinthians, the first chapter says, Let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, things present, things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So, you know, you fit to feel, you, you compare yourself to somebody else, and Live, well, they've got more, and this one's got more, and I don't understand, they have this, and why don't they give to me? Just be thankful for what you have. You don't have to have what they have. Say, well, they ought to share. Well, that's between them and God. They ought to... Jesus said... And Luke, take heed and beware of what? Covetousness. Because it's easy to look around 
and covet say well they have this and that's why oh and that's you know that must be if God's blessed somebody praise the Lord thankful for the blessings of God and and you know a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses and we we have seen this play out in America repeatedly people that had fame had fortune and end up taking their own life. And you wonder, well, why? How could you do that? How could you act that way? How could you, even with all that you had, and yet, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> we started this by looking at talking about a member of the royal family who talked about all of their stuff going on. I want to tell you something and I don't, I don't, I know they're part of the Church of England and I don't know how much their relationship is with God, but the Lord is able to remove any sense of covetousness, some of these things, but you're going to have to discipline yourself to do that. It doesn't happen naturally. Work, discipline of possessions, now the discipline of work. I know, work's a four-letter word. But work is not a bad thing. Thank the Lord that you can work. And, you know, you never reach a point where you can't work. Do something. I... I remember my grandfather got older, <clears throat> was living with my folks, and my mother used to give him a load of laundry to fold because he could sit on the couch and do it. And then he would take it back and she'd, he'd, she'd shake it up and bring it in and have him fold it again. You know now what's going to happen to you guys. <laughs> Hang on. Laundry basket's coming. What are you saying? I got to do something to stay busy. I can't get up. <clears throat> Every once in a while I'll bring down a box of strawberries and grapes and peaches and whatever else, blueberries, I'll say, your job today is to cut these up and get them ready. <laughs> well, do something. Work. This works, you know, the discipline of work. Some people say, well, I don't want to work. I, I just want the government. And that's what we're here seeing today. It's why we have all these places that are saying, we need workers. As long as you give me money, I don't want to work. And yet the Bible was very clear. Six days thou shalt work. 
And obviously, you know, you just stay home and you play the video game or you watch TV and you don't have a purpose and you don't have a job before long, you are going to be undisciplined in mind and body and heart and emotions. Because, you know, the whole... What makes a movie a good movie is that it jerks you around emotionally. Huh? You're sad and you're crying and then you're happy and then you want to kill somebody. Huh? And then uh, look, he's behind the couch. Get him. Don't show him. Huh? Turn around, turn around. I'm just exhausted. I have to watch another show. That last show wore me out. Unfortunately, it's washed you full of emotions, but you have it. Now you got all these chemicals racing around in your brain and body, and you're trying to figure out what to do with them. And, you know, <laughs> work. Sometimes you say, well, it's mindless. I just do the same thing. I just go. But guess what? It's a good time sometimes for you just to do some work. Doesn't take a whole lot of sense to, you know, to fold clothes. But you need to do it. Hallelujah. And the Bible bears that out. The beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish then thou the work of our hands upon us. The work of our hands establish thou it. You know, if you say, hey, pastor, I got a day off. I, I'm willing to come do something at church. Let me know. We'll find something. We have things for you to do. Would love for you to work. Servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh as unto the Lord. And now that was written basically to slaves. In Thessalonians, Paul said, you know, if a man doesn't work, what? Shouldn't eat. Wow. When you don't work, you are disorderly, busy bodies. And you get emotional. What does it say? That with quietness, they... Sorry, go back. I'm sorry. With quietness, they work and eat their own bread. In other words, you work a hard day. I mean, try it. Whatever. Go outside when it's 85 and humid. Cut the grass with a push mower. You come in, whew, you're just glad to be in. All of a sudden, you're thankful for whoever invented air conditioning. Huh? Doesn't take all day to do it. So, <clears throat> Paul told him, the Hebrews, I understand your labor of love. You were diligent. You weren't slothful. And unfortunately, we have a world today that's not disciplined to work. 
Not disciplined to get up and go to the job. I don't have to. I can get money this way. I can do that. I don't need to. I mean, it's terrible. And I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, Brother Rogers and I met, and one of the first things a lady, a young lady told us, just me and my boss here, and she's back in the cook, in there cooking, and we can't get anybody. And there was a big sign. We'll give you a 200. This is that Frisch's in Newark. $250 if you'll come to work tomorrow. We'll pay you at the end of the day. I'm thinking, man, somebody told me the other day they were in Zanesville and they had a sign up if you're 14 or 15 and are willing to work. Some of these fast food places, they say, are shutting down because they can't have their, their dining room open because I don't want to clean that. I can make more Staying at home. And I'm thankful for what the, you know, when people have unemployment, and I get it, and when you can't find a job, and I get it. But if you're out of work, you need to do some kind of work. If it's not for somebody else, you need to say, hey, let me come by. I'll cut the grass at church. I'll, hello, I'll do something. Why? Because I should be, it's a discipline. And if you're not careful, you can become undisciplined pretty quick. Last one, and I, I, I know my time is up, but the discipline of your feelings. And I guess this goes hand in glove with your thoughts. But your emotions. I alluded to it when we opened up that Daniel was this young man taken out of his home in Babylon and his he would have the normal emotions. His country is overrun. He's taken off. And yet, what did he start doing? He started disciplining his body by fasting and praying. You say, well, Daniel didn't have real emotions. I'm going to show you that he had real emotions. But guess what? He didn't fall to pieces whenever he was faced with the lion's den because he knew how to discipline his body, his mind. So when the guy says, Daniel, I don't know if your God's going to do it, but we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Daniel didn't go, oh God, oh no, oh I can't, I'll never be able to tell you that. Oh, I, you don't understand, oh, I can't do it, I can't handle it, I can't. Please not that, please, please, please not that. I just can't take that. I, could, I would not be him. He walks into the lion's den, chapter 6. Now, chapter 7 tells you that when he got this vision, he was grieved in his spirit. His cognitions troubled him. His countenance changed. So this was after the lion's den. So Daniel had emotions. In the 8th chapter, he said, I was afraid, fell on my face. In the 10th chapter, I was left alone. I had no strength in me. When he saw the angel that showed up, Gabriel, I put my face in the ground. And what did the angel say to him? In the midst of falling to the ground, the angel grabbed him and said, Oh, Daniel, greatly, what did he call him? Beloved. 
The Lord loves you, Daniel. When your emotions are going crazy, you need to remember the voice of the angel. The Lord loves me. The Lord has not left me alone. The Lord is, knows where I am. An angel visited me while I'm in Babylon. What are you saying? I don't care where I am or what I am. Oh, Daniel, greatly beloved. Sometimes, I want to tell you, when your emotions are going crazy, you have to put your hand on your own head and say, Oh, pastor, greatly beloved. Because sometimes you can feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm here afraid, I'm alone, I don't, I don't have anybody, I, everything's not working right. He goes on in that same vision, says, stand up. He said, I stood up trembling. And what did the angel then say to him? Fear not. So a couple of things. Three things that happened there. One, remember that the Lord loves you. Number two, get up. Don't wallow in it. Get up. Even if you tremble when you get up, Get up, face. And number three, say, I'm not going to be afraid. As Paul said to Timothy, God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I'm not going to let that destroy me. And then the angel told him, from the first day you prayed, I heard you and I've been, I was coming. And I know sometimes it's not easy to control them. Nehemiah said <clears throat> he found out that some people were not being done right. And he said, I got angry. I was very angry. And then I consulted with myself. And the Amplified interprets it. And I thought, thought it over. Have you ever had to think it over? Stop. Think. What are your options? Then I thought it over. Now what are you saying? And I, I'm through. You're saying, well, when you're a Christian, you just live on spiritual Prozac and nothing bothers you? No. I'm not on spiritual Prozac. I don't, I'm just not, oh yes, Jesus loves me. Sure, you have emotions, but you grab hold of those. You gird up the loins of your mind. You gird up your emotions and you say, wait a minute. I know the Lord loves me. He's not going to forsake me. <clears throat> you acknowledge them and then you get them washed. And that's what he did. That's what Paul told <clears throat> Titus. If you'll notice, Titus said it. In fact, let's stand. We're, I know. We're, we're through. <clears throat> Paul told Titus, for we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, that's anger, and envy, hateful, hating one another, you ever felt like you were living in a place like that? 
where people are angry and mad and, huh? Yeah, Newark, yeah. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. When you stop and think about the kindness and love of God and what the Lord has done for you. Wow, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What are you saying? That's what it's all about, coming to the house of the Lord. Is, you know, letting the Lord wash you, let him, you know, renew you, saying, Lord, I need a, a cleansing. My heart, my mind, my emotions. I have to discipline them. I have to grab a hold of them. Because if I don't, I'm going to tell you something. This, this world, it'll emotionally overwhelm you. You say, well, I've never been there. Honey, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, you're going to get bombarded with more and more. You've got to discipline those. Let's just thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Aren't we blessed?